Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day, Lil. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. The following podcast is a production of McAllen Communications, publishers of Homeland Preparedness News. The mission of HPN is to inform and educate the American public about the efforts undertaken by its government and private sector to protect them from the ever-evolving threats to the homeland. HPN can be found at www.homelandprepnews.com. And welcome to the Homeland Preparedness News Podcast. I am your host, Jim Murtha. EB-5, otherwise known as the Employment-Based Fifth Preference Category, is a little-known but very successful immigrant program that permits foreigners from all over the world to invest funds in a multitude of infrastructure projects across the U.S., Big ticket items like hotels, office towers, and highways are built in exchange for green cards that confer residency to the investors in the United States. This program, created by Congress in the early 1990s, has injected billions of dollars in large construction projects that otherwise would have been funded with tax dollars or not at all. Overall, the program has been a success, with hundreds of projects completed in just about every state. Infrequently, there have been a few bad actors who have misappropriated funds and cost investors a lot of money. But those examples are outliers and not representative of most of the participants. Given its history and success, one would believe that EB-5's continued existence would be just a formality for Congress. But one would be wrong. Last summer, EB-5 met an untimely fate and was sunsetted into the great legislative beyond. Attempts to continue the program fell short and investors and their billions in capital lay in a grave just waiting for a priest. But Washington being Washington, is anything truly dead? For EB-5, the answer is no. In March, an opportunity in the guise of a $1.5 trillion omnibus bill provided the defibrillation needed to jumpstart a reform bill that not only extended the program to 2027, but also injected some much sought after reform measures to keep the program on the straight and narrow. Right now, the details on the regulatory structure of the program are being drawn up, but enough is known now to get an idea of what EB-5 will look like in the coming years. Joining us today to discuss the EB-5 program are Aaron Grau, the Executive Director of IIUSA, a non-for-profit trade group representing various interests in the EB-5 program, and Rajveer Batra of the American Immigrant Investor Alliance. Before we get into the substance of our conversation, I wanted to let our audience uh, learn a little bit more about you and your organization. So, Aaron, uh, tell us a little bit uh, more about the IIUSA. Uh, well, Jim, thanks for the opportunity. You know, IIUSA straight up is um, the industry trade association uh, for the EB-5 uh, community, the EB-5 ecosystem. It is primarily focused on regional centers. Um, that's how it got its start. <clears throat> but we have a growing number of um, other members, other stakeholders in the EB-5 community, both at home and abroad. Uh, everyone from business developers, bankers, uh, real estate developers, um, obviously immigration attorneys, and uh, a growing number of 
of uh, investors as well have expressed interest in in understanding how um, IIUSA works. So um, to put a button on it, I mean, IIUSA, Invest in the USA, is the is the EB-5 trade association uh, in the United States. Okay, Rajvir Batra, uh, what about the American Immigrant Investor Alliance? What's that all about? Yeah, first of all, thanks for having us here. Sure. So the American Immigrant Investor Alliance, or AIIA, we are the investor organization in the industry. We are relatively new. We were founded in April 2021, just a couple of months before the lapse of the program happened. Um, and our job is basically to represent investors in front of Congress and in front of other industry stakeholders like IIUSA. Um, and we have a growing investor um, membership right now. More than 5,000 investors have signed up already. Um, and we, we're in this for the long haul. Okay. All right. Well, let's get, let's get into the program itself. Uh, by most accounts, the EB-5 program has been a success. I mean, I uh, catalog hundreds of, of really successful projects all across the country. And given that, why is it that it suffered a near-death experience last summer? Aaron? <clears throat> That's a good question. It'll always, it'll be one debated and, and discussed for the ages. But I mean, the, the bottom line is that um, there is an element within the EB-5 uh, community that felt that um, the deal that we had uh, developed and put in place um, for passage under the unanimous consent process in the Senate was not quite good enough, was not quite what the industry needed or deserved. Um, and so rather, um, rather than uh, take a bird in the hand, there was an effort to go for two in the bush. And um, that, the outcome of that was a lapsed program. Um, and, and everybody going back to the drawing board. And um, I don't think I'm talking out of class anymore to, to share or put some light on that, but that, that's essentially what happened. Rajver, how did this uh, limbo period affect the investors? I mean, first of all, Aaron put that wonderfully. And there was, I think, an attempt to um, chase two in the bush, so to say. Um, for investors, I would say, not all investors are the same. You know, it's a very diverse group of people. And um, for example, I'll tell you, some investors didn't even know the program had lapsed after it had lapsed. Some knew this was coming way before, way back in January, 2021. So they have like this range of investors in different situations in positions in their life and the lapse affected everyone differently. But I would say the overall impact of the lapse was very, very negative. I would say especially for investors who are in a huge backlog, like Chinese investors, um, their kids were aging out. They had invested all this hard-earned money in the United States economy, and um, they couldn't get their immigration benefits. It was just complete limbo. And I'm glad this lapse is over, but it should never have happened in the first place. The uh, new legislation, and there's uh, quite a lot of it, actually, I guess it's dozens of pages is including it includes uh, new integrity measures to clean up some of the rough spots. Aaron, what were some of the rough spots there and how will the new guidelines work? I think the the biggest rough spot was how uh, investors investors were treated. I think that uh, the integrity 
that Senator Grassley and Senator Leahy and Senator Cornyn and ultimately Senator Schumer and the House Judiciary Committee and everybody on Capitol Hill was seeking to uh, impart and infuse into the program was um, a measure of integrity that assured that that good faith investors were protected from bad faith um, EB-5 um, individuals, I guess, I guess, right. for example, you know, um, if an investor crosses all the T's and dots all the I's and the vast, vast, vast majority of them do, um, makes an investment in good faith into a regional center, into a new commercial enterprise and a job creating entity, you know, with the expectation and intent of creating U.S. jobs for the purposes of, of economic development and ultimately receiving a visa and a green card, having done nothing wrong and only to see that bad actors within that regional center or within that, uh, that, that uh, deal structure um, misbehave, causing the entire underpinnings of the deal to go south. Uh, unfortunately, previously, uh, investors were left really holding the bag, uh, forcing to scramble in an effort to not only save their investment, but also save their place in line toward, toward a legal immigration. Um, that is untenable. It has been for years and it is, um, you know, the biggest, um, element of this integrity, um, initiative, um, that I think will have, uh, the, the, the longevity that it needs. I mean, it's all been about investor protection, um, and transparency for investors and to the administration. I, I know the poster child for, um, a, a bad project was the uh, ski resort up in Vermont. And, and mm-hmm. um, so does the new legislation pretty much make that almost impossible to happen again? Well, that's a good question. I, I think I think it makes it impossible for it to happen again under the circumstances that it happened in the first place. Um, I'm never going to second guess um, the ingenuity of a bad actor. <clears throat> you can't ever legislate good behavior, so to speak. Sure. I'm confident that unfortunately there will be... Um, you know, misbehaving individuals. That said, it's certainly going to be a heck of a lot harder for anybody um, to to mistreat or take advantage of investors now than it was before. And I think that's always the point of public policy is to uh, improve the state of affairs for the participants to protect people who need protection. And, you know, Unfortunately, if, if a situation arises again, IIUSA in conjunction with AIIA, we mean we will be right back at the table in an effort to to eliminate whatever loophole somebody may have discerned in, in the interim. But to answer your question more succinctly, yeah, it, it can't happen again, uh, not the way it happened before. Uh, Rajveer, um, do the integrity measures in the new legislation instill a lot more confidence in the program? from current investors and maybe future investors going forward? A hundred percent. There is no doubt about that. Like my organization fully supports the integrity measures in the Reform and Integrity Act. Um, I, we think we needed them way back. We're glad they're here now. Um, for us, the biggest integrity measure is grandfathering. Um, so the new law says that any investor who invested before September 30th, 2026, would be permanently protected if the program were to lapse again in the future. And this is still a temporary program. Uh, it has only been extended till 2027. So right. this could happen yet again. We hope not, 
but the grandfathering provision would protect all existing investors who have invested till 2026. So that for us is the biggest integrity measure. Uh, we do have concerns with the new bill, specifically about visa set-asides. And I'm sure Aaron will talk more about the whole regional center redesignation thing going on right now. But on the integrity measure side, we are very happy. Would it be logical to assume that the new integrity measures could spawn a whole new round of, of additional investors? I think that's very, very possible. Um, the EB-5 program, if you look at the news headlines and the media coverage of EB-5, has largely been negative because of the few bad actors that are in the industry. For example, you talked about the Vermont JPEG scandal. Uh, I think I, I think headlines like that put off investors, especially because these investors, they are living in foreign countries. They are basically handing over their money to projects in the United States. And it's hard to do due diligence when you're outside the country. So I think this, these new integrity measures will instill a sense of confidence going forward. Recently, the U.S. Citizenship and Immigration Services, one of the governing bodies for EB-5, said that the regional centers, the organizations that put together investment groups, will have to reapply to participate in the program. And it, I know that has received a lot of coverage. Uh, Aaron, is this some just esoteric directive or is this really foul up things? This really fouls up things. How so? Um, the, um, the congressional intent, um, and I know because I was there, congressional intent was to reauthorize the regional center program and instill it and support it with integrity measures that everybody needed to abide by. Um, and of course, there was going to be some, some level of reconciliation uh, between USCIS and existing uh, participants in the program vis-a-vis -vis those integrity measures. But Congress never intended to eliminate the regional center program and start from scratch. And that's, that is what, and, and, and forgive me, far be it for me to, to seem like I'm biting the hand that feeds me. I mean, IIUSA wants a productive, bilateral, uh, working relationship with USCIS. But unfortunately, their interpretation uh, of the law at this point is so counterproductive um, as to as to sort of force my hand and and, and say that um, they are running afoul of congressional intent. Uh, they run the risk of turning the entire law on its head um, because if you force all regional center programs to start from the beginning, the number of issues um, are exponential and paramount. For example. Um, if you turn off the lights and then turn them back on and expect everybody from, to start from scratch and everybody needs to reapply and USCIS receives four or 500 applications in whatever form USCIS, USCIS deems is necessary, who gets, who gets recertified first? Who is it that USCIS decides we're going to work through this application before we're going to do this application and this business is going to get to start up first. It's a real shame because um, while these regional centers are waiting for recertification, they can do no business. Um, there is no regional center program. It jeopardizes um, um, the position of uh, the investors that have relied on those regional centers. And um, 
to say that it's really run afoul, honestly, it's almost um, it's a huge understatement. We have come so far uh, over such a long period of time to have to face an existential reality of the program um, uh, being eliminated because of uh, the unintended consequences of this interpretation is more than disconcerting. It's like building a brand new car and putting it in the road and not putting an ounce of gas in it. Yes, the program still exists, but guess what? It's going nowhere. Um, it will not fulfill the congressional intent of business and job development. And um, investors are left once again holding the bat. It, it's it's horrible. Um, and we have been imploring USCIS to consider these unintended consequences. And unfortunately, so far, it seems as though um, our pleas have fallen on deaf ears. I know that the the investors, the uh, their interaction with the program is through the resource centers. So how does this um, reapplication process uh, mess that up? Well, I, I would like to hear Rajveer's um, Yeah, that's what oh, I'm, Raj, yeah. Rajveer, that, that okay, was good, directed yeah. at you. Yeah. So, so a couple of days ago, USCIS came out with an FAQ page, basically. And they their statement is that existing investors, by and large, should be unaffected um, by this new redesignation resignation process. However, in my opinion, there still will be um, unintended consequences. For example, for the next year or two, or however long it takes for USCIS to recertify these regional centers, they can do no business. And we do not know how many will actually survive this period. Um, what happens if a regional center goes bankrupt or shuts its doors down and at the I-829 stage, the investor needs job certification, evidence of job, job creation, basically. Who do they talk to? The regional center they invested with doesn't exist anymore. So I think in theory, even if USCIS says that existing investors are fine, I think there will be unintended consequences down the road. Right. Um, being somewhat familiar with this process, I've been around government a long time. I know that uh, the uh, after a bill passes, sometimes that's where the real work begins. And when you're dealing with a bureaucracy whose uh, job is to write regulations to support the framework of the, of the bill, that's where a lot of crazy stuff happens. And I suppose, uh, Aaron, is this one of those things where maybe you got to go back to the uh, authors, maybe to uh, Grassley or to uh, Leahy and tell them what's going on? Yes, and we have. Um, unfortunately, there seems to be a level of uh, extreme fatigue uh, on this matter <clears throat> on Capitol Hill. Um, and um, an indication that, you know, this is obviously a administrative issue now. Um, and again, technically, that may be the case. Um, but there are messages that we that we look forward to sharing with the authors and supporters of, so that they clearly understand what these unintended consequences will mean to their intent. For example, you know, uh, as Rajveer said, you know, if these regional centers are out of out of business, or no longer able to exercise um, EB-5 related business, then what responsibilities do they have vis-a-vis uh, -vis USCIS oversight of the billions of dollars that they've invested on behalf of, of uh, immigrant investors? I would argue none. 
I would argue that they have absolutely no need to say anything to anybody anymore because they've just been uh, told that they no longer exist. If a regional center no longer has an obligation to report its activities on this money to USCIS, I would submit that the transparency element and the effort to eliminate bad actors from this from this um, from this program is immediately evaporated, and all of the efforts that Grassley and Leahy wanted to assure um, elements to assure that were in place are gone, and bad actors um, could very well end up having a free pass. I don't think that's what they meant. I don't think that's what they wanted to have happen. Um, so they need to be made aware of that. We haven't taken those steps to open those channels um, formally yet, um, but we are in the process of developing, you know, legislative text that I think uh, can be shared in the near future to re-engage on that level. Another seemingly esoteric provision of the law is the uh, I-829 petition, final step for an immigrant investor to become a lawful permanent resident of the U.S., we have heard there is a substantial backlog in processing those petitions. Rajveer, what are the ramifications to those delays, and does it affect the EB-5 program? I mean, absolutely. First of all, I'd just say the statute says that the 829 petition has to be adjudicated within 90 days. That's what the law says. And USCIS is clearly violating that law. Um so during the lapse, USCIS came out with a statement saying that we they cannot process any existing 526 or 485 forms because the program has lapsed. However, they did say that they are processing 829 forms during the lapse. I think everyone is asking this question now. If all USCIS was doing was process 829 forms for the past nine months during the lapse, why did the backlog increase and not decrease during this period? I mean, what the, the processing times are atrocious. And currently, if you look on their website, it says that the processing times for 829 forms are three, four, or five years, even though the law says it should be 90 days. So I think, I mean, the new law has provisions for a fee study, um, basically giving USCIS a target date, but it's not binding. And we definitely hope that USCIS gets get its act together and starts processing these forms um, as, you know, as fast as the law says that they should. But um, I would not be holding my breath for that. So is it a matter of manpower or just desire or realign priorities inside the organization? Um, I mean, we don't have a lot of evidence for this, but my, my um, take on this is that in the past, there has been an effort um, to discriminate against EB-5 applications by USCIS. There is no other explanation for that. We have filed so by, many- By slow walking them, by slow e walking them. Exactly, yes. Yeah. Um, for example, back in 2019, when they actually increased staff at the IPO, which is the Immigrant Pro uh, Program Office, the processing time still increased, even though they increased the staffing requirements. So there is no other explanation for this. They're definitely slow walking these applications and I hope with the new administration coming in and with the new law, uh, this changes. Okay. Um, Aaron, you have any uh, thoughts on that, on the I-29? I agree with Rajmir. Uh, the I-829, I'm sorry. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I agree. I think that, um, you know, it is human nature uh, to to make certain assumptions based on the evidence that's been provided. And 
time and time and time again, the evidence demonstrates that for some reason, um, USCIS uh, gives short shrift to the EB-5 program. I will say that on the listening session on on the 29th, such as it was, um, they did report that, you know, across DHS, uh, they are they are at least 4,000 people shy of where they need to be to operate it at full capacity. So it could very well be a manpower issue. Um, but um, it's hard for me to believe that that's the only the only thing at play. Um, it's just been the same story for too long um, for any rational person to assume otherwise. I suppose there is a uh, an intent in the legislation to uh, have the uh, participants conform to the law, but the bureaucracy sometimes has its own ideas and what that what that means exactly. All right. Um, with the trillions of dollars allegedly being spent by the federal government on infrastructure, does that materially or substantially change the kind of projects being funded underneath the EB-5 umbrella? Aaron, let me start with you. I don't think so. Um, I think we will see an uptick, you know, all things being equal and we're back at, you know, USCIS sees its way clear to um, allowing uh, the program to go and grow. We've touched on that already, I guess. I don't see um, a, a, a dramatic impact um, on infrastructure, uh, however, through EB-5. However, there are infrastructure set-asides now. Uh, there is more money you know, going into infrastructure because of uh, the federal legislation. Um, so I'm sure we will see an uptick in, in uh, infrastructure projects uh, that include EB-5 resources. And I laud it. I think it's a good thing. Um, certainly something that the country needs and can create jobs. Okay. Uh, Rajveer, from, from your point of view? I mean, I completely agree with Aaron. And he's the expert here on um, EB-5 projects. So I'll leave it at that. Okay. All right, um, let me get you out of here with this. I, I'm an optimist, and I'm going to assume that everything is going to get ironed out and the program will be operating under the new guidelines and the program is humming along as uh, as intended. What does the program look like, say, three years from now? What kind of projects are being built? Uh, are we getting investors from new parts of the world? Aaron? I'm an optimist as well, so I will share. I will share your optimism, um, <laughs> uh, and I appreciate. I appreciate ending on that note. I think the program looks uh, even bigger and better than it has been at its zenith uh, back in you know uh, 2008 to 2015. Um, I think we end up seeing a lot of uh, new rural projects, which I think was part of congressional intent. Um, I think we see, um, as I said, an uptick in infrastructure projects um, that could include uh, energy-related projects, which I think is also fantastic. Um, and as far as um, other countries, I can tell you that the interest in EB-5 globally is rising. Um, I measure that based on um, you know, data that we collect from overseas partners, but also... Um, you know, just uh, subjectively, you know, IIUSA is facilitating what we call our passport series, which is 
um, uh, in-country events across the world. Right now, we're conducting them in several countries in South America. Uh, at the end of May, beginning of June, we'll be in um, four cities in India. And these events are sold out. There's no more room for interested investors to attend these information sessions. And if that's not an indication of um, where EB-5 is going and the interest from countries, I'll say non-traditional um, immigrant investor countries, I don't know what is. It's an exciting prospect. Rajveer, uh, look in your crystal ball and uh, what do you what do you see three years from now? Um, I'm an optimist as well, both of you guys. I think... Um, in the next two or three years, a USCIS will get its act together. The program will be more efficient. You're going to see processing times come down, hopefully, to maybe six to 12 months. And the program won't be the wild, wild west anymore like it was before the reforms. There is going to be greater oversight over the actors in this industry. And you're going to see a more positive perception of EP5 and the benefits and the jobs it creates uh, in the media and among the American society in general. All right. Well, um, that's all the time we have for today's program. Aaron Grau of IAUSA and Rajvir Batra of American Immigrant Investor Alliance. Thank you very much for a terrific discussion. Thanks, Jim. Thanks, Rajvir. Good to, good to talk to you guys. Yeah, thanks for having us here. The preceding podcast was a production of McAllen Communications, publishers of Homeland Preparedness News. If you have a topic for a future program, just go to www.homelandprepnews.com and look for the podcast section on the front page. Until next time, I am your host, Jim Murtha. Be well, be safe, and be prosperous. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, avoid, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus.